Hey y'all, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Sermon. Our goal for this podcast is to dive deeper into scripture, going beyond what is preached on Sundays at Harbor City Church and what you typically get to hear in the pews. Thanks for joining us. Let's nerd out. Welcome to our very first installment of Beyond the Sermon. We are so excited to be here with you. When I say we, I mean me, Philip Black. I'm your host, and Jonathan Linker is here with me as well. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, we are here on a sunny, beautiful February day in 2023, and we are excited to jump into Scripture. Like we said in uh, our intro and in the intro podcast, we're here to enliven Scripture. We want you to see more of who Jesus is, more of who God is, and we want you to leave this podcast worshiping uh, our God. And so... Uh, we hope that you've already listened to John 3, uh, our sermon on John 3 this past week. Uh, you can check in our show notes. If you haven't paused this podcast right now, jump over to the previous one and listen to the sermon on John 3. You, ha- you can also go to our website, harborcitychs.com, and watch that sermon online. Uh, but that is going to be really helpful as we begin to talk about this passage. But if you have listened Let's jump right into the book of John. And uh, Jonathan, man, we we kind of started out by saying this is going to be a podcast where we jump into things that we wouldn't necessarily have jumped into on Sunday. So is there something, since we don't have questions from listeners quite yet, is there something that you really wanted to address in the sermon but didn't have the opportunity to? Yeah, so in John 3, you know, 1 through 21, obviously the rich teaching, even if you're looking at your Bible, you see that most of the red letters are towards the back of the passage. And so okay. when you're preaching a sermon, you want to get to where the meat is, so yeah. you kind of pass over a little bit of the introduction. But there's a lot of this, like, introduction with this character, Nicodemus, that is just so intriguing to me. Hmm. You know, Nicodemus is identified as, you know, a man of the Pharisees, who we know from the other gospel accounts, Jesus is in constant conflict with the Pharisees. Yeah. Um, we know from his name that he's Greek, and so okay. he's um, likely educated and likely living kind of as a dual citizen. Huh. And then he's also a, a ruler of the Jews, which is kind of a John's reference. When he refers to the Jews, he's referring typically to the Sanhedrin or the ruling body of the Jews, not just that he's a ruler of the Israelites. Okay. And so he's a man of influence. He's a man mm. of education. He's a man who has a strict um, lifestyle towards God as a Pharisee, where his people would consider him very holy. And then he comes to Jesus to meet him at night. Like it, it almost feels like a scandal, yeah. Or like something like it's a nighttime conversation between two rabbis, where they can, you know, we don't know how to interpret it. Is is Nicodemus embarrassed to be seen yeah. with Jesus? Does, yeah. Does Nicodemus want to ask a question? He doesn't want his fellow Pharisees to, to hear. Like, what's going on here? And then, you know, his his whole comment um, at the very beginning, he doesn't even ask a question. He just makes a statement. And so the the intro part of this, again, we didn't get um, all the way into the weeds of this in the sermon, is just so interesting. As a reader of God's Word, yeah. if you're reading up to this point, you should start to feel this expectation and this intrigue. Mm. Yeah, man, just fun note, when I was, uh, it was like third grade, I was in a play called Nick at Night, and it was built around John 3 and Jesus and Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. And we sang this song, Nick at Night, and uh, we had glow-in-the-dark gloves that we would Phil, dance I think if you with. had told me that prior to preaching the sermon, we would have had you come and do that <laughs> yeah, as the intro and to the reenact sermon. it. Well, uh, what specifically, I think one of the things that you had talked about in sermon planning was not... Ne- 
uh, not just this idea of Nicodemus coming at night, but that there was some grammar that, um, not, not to get into kind of the Greek language, cause we're not specialists there, but the, the grammar kind of revealed some questions that you may have had that you didn't necessarily have prior. That's right. Yeah. I think, uh, Nicodemus's statement in verse two, um, which I know some of you may be driving or running or walking as you're listening to this. So I'm just going to read that verse out to you. Uh, Nicodemus says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, what's really interesting to me is he says we. Hmm. And so that begins to change in my mind the nature of this conversation that Nicodemus is having with Jesus in that he is coming as a representative yeah. of the Pharisees, of the Sanhedrin, and really as a as a representative of Israel. Interesting. And the reason I mentioned that is um, in John chapter 1, we said that, um, you know, John's prologue to the gospel, he says that, um, to Jesus came into his own, and his own did not receive him. Okay. Well, the Pharisees were called the set-apart ones. Yeah. They were supposed to be the people who would do a few things. One is that they would lead Israel in national repentance, that they would live holy, set-apart lives, that they would be students and, and teachers of the Scripture, and that because of all those things, they would be the ones to be able to identify the Messiah. So mm. when you understand that that's who these Pharisees were supposed to be, and even how John had alluded to that in John chapter 1, you're like, is this the moment? Is this the moment where Nicodemus comes as a representative, using okay. that word we, to, 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 to identify that Jesus is the Messiah? And so this, this encounter is, a, is quite momentous. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, um, man, just as you're kind of saying that, the previous verse to John 3, and I'll read it, says, now what he was in... Now he was in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. So it seems like Nicodemus was coming. His first statement was to position him almost as a representative, but then Jesus responds directly to Nicodemus. That's right. You know, Nicodemus, behind Nicodemus's statement is this, there, there's this question behind his statement. Are you the Messiah? Yeah. Like, speak plainly. We're at night. The crowds aren't around. <laughs> Just between us rabbis. Are you the Messiah? Are you yeah. the one? And then Jesus responds completely differently. You know, Jesus had no problem disclosing who he was, but it, it, it's his response is telling, and he says that, you know, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I mentioned this in the sermon, but it's almost like they're having two different conversations here. Nicodemus yeah. is saying one thing. Jesus is saying something else, but to your point that you just mentioned, Phil, that's because Jesus knew what was in man. So Jesus, as he so often does, is going into a deeper issue yeah, in the heart right. of Nicodemus. And so what what we said in the sermon is, you know, it's not that uh, Nicod, you know, Nicodemus's question is, you know, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus is. His, his response is, when the kingdom of God comes, will you even be ready? Mm. And no, you won't until you're born again. Yeah, he's getting that like a really what the question he should be asking. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you also mentioned, we, you know, we hit on the word we there, but you also said that there was something interesting about the word you throughout the passage. What, what was that? That's absolutely right. Yeah, uh, through verses five all the way to eight, when Jesus responds, he's using the word you. Now, in the English language, our word you and the word that means y'all or you plural is the same word. Yes. But it, it, there's differentiation in the Greek. And so Jesus mm. is actually responding to uh, Nicodemus's question when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
He's actually saying, truly, truly, I say to you all. Huh. By the way, that's, you know, uh, one for the South right there, you all, <laughs> is a better translation right that's here right. than are you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's really interesting. So Jesus, uh, kind of in it, when we talked in John 2, we saw that Jesus had uh, almost multiple meanings in his response to the Pharisees, and he was being kind of purposely vague um, to kind of draw them in. And so this seems like what he's kind of doing here as well. He's both being pointed towards Nicodemus, the individual, but also the people he represents. Phil, you're, you're on to it, man, because in John's gospel, Jesus uses his words masterfully. Yeah. You know, to the point that later, you know, John chapter 6, the, the, the Levitical um, temple guard who was sent to, like, arrest Jesus will come back and say, no one ever spoke like this man. Mm. So as we, as we look at the words of Jesus and we really understand them in their historical context and their grammatical context and the moment that he's saying these things, what wisdom was in yeah, Jesus that, that he could respond this way? Yeah, and it, it really is interesting because he, uh, you'll you all will see, um, you listeners will see as we go through the book. He he has very particular ways he responds to Pharisees, and then very particular ways he responds to really anybody else. He he talks to them directly about their faith and about. Um, who they are, and then to the Pharisees, he's often responding in parables and like these kind of cryptic messages that they might not necessarily understand. And part of it is not he's trying to confuse, but he also understands his time isn't yet, and they're trying to trap him. Yep. So there's there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, I guess wordplay, if you will, back and forth here. That's right. And, and again, to your earlier point, Jesus knew what was in man. He, yeah. he responds to each individual knowing what they know and what they need. Mm. Well, that's really good news, I guess, for us that Jesus can, he knows the heart of man. I think of Exodus 2, it says that God knows and that he sees, he hears, and that he will remember his promise. And so that's a very personal promise that we're even seeing play out with Nicodemus, uh, who by all accounts may not be even a Christian yet, but Jesus is still responding to him personally in a way that he needs in the way that he uh, needs to be responded to. That's right. And, and you know, Jesus's response is personal and corporate. And that, Phil, is the yeah. point I thought that kind of changed the way I read this. Yeah, that's interesting. Is because Nicodemus is coming as a representative. And so Jesus is actually speaking to Nicodemus, and he's actually speaking to those behind Nicodemus. Yeah, the, the ones that would hear it the same way Nicodemus would. Almost. Yeah, so, so we're seeing Nicodemus representing, you know, himself, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. And by the Sanhedrin, he's representing the entire nation of Israel. Wow. And so as you think about that, this phrase, you must be born again, is not just you know advice to a man at night. It is, it is the word of God coming from the Son of God to the people of mm. God, the nation of Israel. Yeah, I I'm going to put you on the spot here because this is just a fact that I'm not 100% on. I know that at this time of Jesus, there were about 250,000 people in Jerusalem that would have identified as the people of Israel. There were, I think, like six thousand Pharisees is is the rough estimate that I've heard. Do you know how many Sanhedrin there were? That'd be an interesting yeah, question. I, I don't know. I mean, the Sanhedrin is the ruling body of the Jews. It's not just made up of Pharisees only. It's also going to be made of the Sadducees and some oh, other okay. parties, including the high priests. Okay. And so, um, it, it would be a small number. You know, the Sanhedrin assemble at the trial of Jesus, and so they would have to be a small enough number to be able to assemble in a area. I think you know the the midnight trial of Jesus. They assemble at. Um, uh, Caiaphas's father-in-law's house. Okay, so th- it had to be a place where they could assemble in a <laughs> yeah, house. Yeah, that's true. But the actual number, I'm not sure. Yeah, so that's interesting. I, I only point that out because Nicodemus is no small individual here. He's not an insignificant person. He's he's one of a few that's actually stepping out and having this conversation. 
That's right. If a senator comes to you to have a conversation, that's important. But if he says, I'm representing the Senate of the United States of America, yeah. it just puts a different kind of weight behind the conversation. That's right. Well, let me ask you about, um, I think one of the things that people may have questions on, Jesus references um, the Old Testament here uh, as in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What do you see... Um, what's kind of behind this that, uh, you know, there, there, there's multiple ways to go. Jesus Jesus identifies with um, this particular picture, but ha- how else should we think about it? Yeah, so again, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus as a rabbi, so he is assuming that he knows the law, and so he is speaking in terms and with a word picture that Nicodemus can understand. He's already said, pre- you know, previously that, you know, I'm speaking heavenly things and you don't understand. Let me speak earthly things. So it's almost like he's seeking this common ground. Yeah. And so he's referencing what we may consider an obscure event in um, the Torah, which was when uh, the nation of Israel rebelled against God, God sent a plague of serpents into the camp. And as these poisonous serpents would bite an Israelite, um, they would perish. And so the people of Israel cried out to God. God speaks to Moses to to make a bronze serpent and to put it on a pole, and that whoever is bit by this plague of serpents could look at that bronze serpent and that they would be healed of the the poison that was going to you know ultimately kill them. And so Jesus is saying, it, to me, this is like marvel of marvels. Jesus is saying that's a picture of what's going to happen to me in the cross. Mm. There's some symbolism again. We're going beyond the sermon. There's some symbolism that's important there. One is uh, bronze was a metal that was associated with judgment. We would okay. see like the altars of Israel. Um, God would command that they be covered in bronze. Bronze is a metal that is made in fire, hmm. and so bronze is um, often used as a symbol of judgment. And then the the thing that blows me away, Phil. A serpent. Jesus is going to identify himself with the serpent. Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. the, the serpent was an image of the plague, right? That was yeah. setting Israel. But the serpent, all throughout the you know the Bible, is also a symbol of Genesis three of Satan. Yeah, and so Jesus is saying, um, you know, we combine those two images: sin, Satan, and judgment. Yeah, that's what this bronze serpent symbolized. And just like Moses lifted up the ser- from the earth. The, 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 so that all men could see, mm. right? The serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In other words, the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself, would be raised from the earth on the cross and would be made the sin of the world mm. and be judged by God on that cross. And everyone who looked on that that Son of God, who, who, has, made sin, uh, who has been made sin, will live just like those who looked at the bronze serpent would live and be healed. Wow. I, I think that's crazy because I'm thinking about it now. And um, man, the people of Israel looked at, I would imagine if I'm putting myself in their shoes, they're looking at the bronze serpent and almost looking at it with like a grateful heart that it's going away, that they're like purging um, their nation of these serpents. And Jesus identifying himself with that serpent is going to go up on this cross and be looked at as someone who we're grateful that you're going away. That's right. And, but he's there almost throughout all of scripture, scripture. You see him saying, you do not see me the, the way you should. Like I'm, I, We talked about in John 2 how he walks into the court of the Gentiles as the presence of God when a million people were in Jerusalem 
to be in the presence of God, and they did not see him. Mm-hmm. And so this is just another example of how Jesus is, is kind of positioning himself uh, in a way that the Israelites, man, they're not going to see it. They're just yeah. not going to see it. Which goes back to John's like introduction. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. But to, to Jesus's point, but to all who did receive him, yeah. who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Man, that's crazy. I think uh, this passage is just another example of how rich it is and how you can gloss over things so quickly just by reading. But when you slow down, you really begin to see uh, some of the beauty of Jesus's words and how he, just in a few words, is referencing so much and speaking volumes to individuals that we may not necessarily understand, uh, given our context and how we grew up and the fact that we didn't memorize the Torah and might not understand all the intricacies of this, but Jesus in just sentences is speaking books to Nicodemus. Uh, and that's that's so beautiful. Yeah, no one, I mean, again, uh, we, we called this series in John, Come and See, but I almost wish we could have named it, like, no one ever spoke like this man. Yeah, and so I, I think about if you're listening today and you're you know may come from a skeptical background or maybe you have a friend or a family member who would identify themselves as a skeptic of Jesus. Man, reading the words of Jesus and then contemplating like who could say this? Like um, a little story, Phil. Like I'm a I love fiction. I read a ton of fiction, and uh, so I'm I'm reading the best authors I can get my hands on. Yeah, the best authors in the world when they write a character and it become and it looks real, it's amazing. But the best authors in all the world could not create words like are coming out of Jesus's mouth. Hmm. Like there's something other about Jesus, and it's evident to anyone who just studies what he says. Yeah, yeah. I was um, listening to a podcast by um, Andrew Peterson the other day, and one of the things he said, which is really interesting, and I think uh, just interesting as we walk through the book of the John, the book of John, is he said that um, you know in uh, literature, you often look to in, uh, who inspires a particular author. And he said he spent some time following that back and realized that the Bible was actually the very first printed book that people widely had. Now there were scrolls and whatnot, but so that that's maybe a little bit beside the point, but he was he was talking about how Every written book from here, from then on, was inspired by the central book that was widely published as the only book published, the Bible. And so, uh, it's very interesting how even in fiction you see some of these themes, and because it it is an inspirational book, and there's a relative amount of truth that people understand just from the stories of Scripture that they may not even understand. And so that's, I think some of the things we're trying to pull out here is not just knowledge, because knowledge, I mean, okay, we, we all have random knowledge that's unhelpful in life, but this is something we, wanna, we want you to feel um, the truth of Jesus and who He is, who He says He is. We don't want you to walk through Scripture and Jesus to say at the end of it, but you didn't see me. Like, That's right. We want you to see who Jesus is, who he says he is, and we want you to fall in love with him. That's right. And that that's, you know, not just our desire, Phil, but that's the point of the whole book of John where John John 20:31 he would say, you know, these these this book is written so that you may believe in Jesus yeah. and by believing in him may have life in his name. And really that's why we're that's not just why we're studying John, that's why we're doing this podcast hmm. is we want people to get into the word but not just to learn a whole lot more facts about the Bible, yeah, but to be changed by the living Word of God. Well, we're so grateful that you gave us 20 minutes of your time today. Again, this is Beyond the Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Philip Black, and Jonathan Linker, our pastor, is here. 
Man, we're, we're very grateful. I'll say every week, if you have particular questions about sermons, we're more than happy to go back and create a new podcast if it's something that's going to really help people understand the passage. So feel free to throw me a question. We can't guarantee we're going to address every single one of them, but throw me a question via email. My email is philip with one L at harborcitychs.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, even just hear your feedback. Let us know how we can make this better. This is obviously our first one, so we are open to hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to talking with you next week.